1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection.
0: Dear Young Rocker is more than just a podcast about music. It's a memoir of how it feels to survive high school when you don't fit in and the freeing feeling of picking up a guitar for the first time. It's also advice for anyone who is or was young and has ever felt weird or alone. Dear Young Rocker is written and narrated by me, Chelsea Erson, executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. What's up? This is Molly. Molly, today we are tackling uh, an important question. Why does the sizzle fizzle? Oh, it sounds like sex in the city and Cosmo. Yeah, but we we're actually going to we're going to get deep. We're going to get inside some brains and talk about love and passion and uh, places Carrie Bradshaw never took you. (laughs) Yeah. And more importantly, when it fizzles out, which reminds me, Molly, of a little bit of a story. Mm. Storytelling. Is homeschooling involved? No homeschooling involved. This was a, um, well, the date and time will just leave in the ether. Um, remain anonymous. Yeah. The, when you suggested this title, why is the sizzle fizzle? And it reminded me of a certain name in my cell phone directory. Mm-hmm. Um, fizzle. Oh, there's someone who you goes, you have under a friend named fizzle. fizzle. Yeah. There was, there was a guy, um, who, thing you know i met him things started to sizzle and uh it just seemed really great and you know i had all of those uh, characteristics of romantic passion i just i couldn't think about anything else i you know i i was so nervous i couldn't even eat sometimes it was just whenever i would see him my palms would sweat it was awful really and then after a while you know it just fizzled Fizzle. Yeah. And so I decided one night um, to change his name in the phone to Fizzle. And I actually forgot about that. <laughs> and uh, I ran into him um, the other day, in fact, and I uh, got a text message and I was like, who is Fizzle? Oh, yeah, that's Fizzle. That's what I renamed him as. So, I can only hope Fizzle listens to this podcast. Yeah. Fizzle, if you're out there, this one's for you. <laughs> um So... I thought this would be a pretty, pretty good story to maybe chart the path of romance and passion in our brains. Because Molly, I felt, I felt crazy. I really did. I consider myself a very practical, rational person. And when I met Fizzle, there was no practical or rational reason why I was so drawn to him. Mm-hmm. It was something I, I just I was out of my mind. I didn't understand it. But I took a lot of comfort in this research that we've been doing because I can blame my brain. You can blame your brain along with a whole host of my favorite word hormones. Yes, my book but- and chemicals. Yes. But we have to remember with hormones with a special episode on passion and love. We talk a lot about how hormones affect women's behavior specifically. True. But you know what, Molly, when it comes to the neurobiology, of love men and women are on an equal playing field right these hormones are affecting everyone by the way I think neurobiology of love is going to be Celine Dion's next album final. I hope so maybe then I'll l- listen to it <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're gonna first of all make a little disclaimer even though a lot of what Kristen described in her attraction to fizzle sounded a little lustful we're gonna skip right over lust. Yeah, I don't think that it, it wasn't purely, it wasn't purely lust. I will, I will say that straight out. There was definitely a attraction phase to an attachment phase. It, mm-hmm. There was a build up. This was to a, everything. a connection was being made. Yeah. It was more than just, uh, how do you do? Yeah, we forged a friendship. Okay. So what was going on in your brain past lust, which is a lot of chemicals like testosterone, sex drive chemicals, when we get into this sort of what's termed the attraction phase of love. Mm-hmm. First you have we have the, the visual input. I saw fizzle from a distance mm-hmm. and I was attracted. And this visual input becomes very important later on that basically when you see someone that you care for, there's this huge visual indentation they make on your brain. Mm-hmm. And um so once I, I established this visual input and I started seeing fizzle more and more and I got progressively uh, more nervous every time I, I would see him, at least for a while, there were certain parts of my brain that were probably more active than others, right? Mm-hmm. So when I first started seeing fizzle, and I, like I said, I would get very nervous. Uh, maybe my heart would race a little bit more. I could never think of anything interesting at all to say. Uh, it was because certain parts of my brain were really active and other parts weren't so active right Molly that's correct have you ever heard of your hypothalamus Kristen well I have well it was screwing you over it was the uh, the hypothalamus is this little part of the brain that uh, releases a little hormone we like to call dopamine hmm yeah and dopamine uh, is a pretty big part of the reward system basically even though it made you nervous you thrived on seeing fizzle yeah of course and in addition to dopamine, there was another chemical called norepinephrine that was surging through my veins whenever I would see a fizzle. And norepinephrine is similar to adrenaline, which mm-hmm. is why it feels like this fight or flight where I, when I would see him, there would be a split second in my brain where I was like, will I approach or will I flee? <laughs> and sometimes I would flee just because you couldn't take it because your brain is just on overdrive, essentially. Mm-hmm. But not all of it. Certain parts of the brain do shut down. Um, the prefrontal is it the prefrontal cortex The prefrontal cortex essentially shuts down and this is sort of why love is blind and why fools fall in love because when this part shuts down you're able to overlook all these flaws everything is just perfect fizzle is the most important wonderful man i'm sure no flaws at all yeah exactly well i mean well, yes, <laughs> that's another story for another time. But exactly the prefrontal cortex is associated with our social judgment. So yeah, for us, it, for women, it would, it would make us more trusting, you know, even though maybe, maybe Fizzle didn't have a college degree. And maybe <laughs> Fizzle, you know, maybe didn't have the steadiest job but that didn't matter to my prefrontal cortex because it wasn't even registering. Yeah, you had no fear, essentially. And scientists have kind of described this as kind of a push-pull. Like, basically, you're getting it from all sides. You're getting pushed into that reward system. You want more dopamine. You're getting pulled forward by the fact that you have no judgment about this person, essentially. That you can love them despite all their flaws and despite the fact that they make you incredibly jumpy. Yeah, and in addition to the jumpiness, there's also, you know, where where you get the... The weird mood swings where you just, I was so happy about Fizzle. And then I'd be like, well, Fizzle's not calling. Why is this not <laughs> happening? And then, you know, sometimes it was just like my appetite would be weird. And that is to blame on serotonin. When mm-hmm. the dopamine goes up, levels of serotonin in my brain would go down. And serotonin is the, uh, makes you feel calm, relaxed. And once that drops, that's when I, I got a little more anxious. And uh, and maybe, you know, just wasn't wasn't eating as much. So that is yet another factor that makes us, quote unquote, crazy in love. But this is clearly no way to live like the human species would never survive if we were just walking around hungry, spaced out, jumpy all the time. We'd be walking in front of buses. We would be just doing bizarre things. Yeah. So. Thank goodness for evolutionary biology that uh, said, okay, you know, this is nice. This is pushing you towards someone, but you need to actually bond and attach. And in order to do that, you can't be flighty and not being able to form sentences at all. So there's another set of hormones that starts to kick in during the attachment phase that follows attraction. Yeah, and this is the part where the sizzle begins to fizzle. This is not to say everyone's just going to break up the way Kristen and Fizzle did because there are sort of the next wave of chemicals that come through your brain to help you form a connection. Right, and the chemicals we are talking about specifically are oxytocin and vasopressin. And these are associated with um, orgasms. And for women, it is also associated with childbirth and breastfeeding. These are the very... Intimate bonding hormones that give you – oxytocin is sometimes called the the warm and cuddly hormone because it's associated with those most intimate experiences. Right. When you have sex with someone, eventually you begin to form this bond, and that's thanks to oxytocin, which makes you want to stay around and be with this person and just spend all day with them. And we should say that estrogen and testosterone not surprisingly do interact with oxytocin a little bit differently for with estrogen it, it the combination of estrogen and oxytocin gives us more feelings of trust and bonding whereas with testosterone and oxytocin it actually mitigates the calming effects of the oxytocin and and it spurs that fight or flight a little bit more in males which once again, another conversation for another time. <laughs> but what's interesting about sort of the difference between the two stages, according to, um, love researcher, which I would like to have that title someday, not officially, just in my private life, casually just seems like a good thing to have it on a business card. I digress. Um, according to love researcher Helen Fisher, the thinking is, is that once the vasopressin, which is like, uh, Oxytocin has sort of a clever name as the commitment chemical. Once that starts surging through your brain, it kind of blocks the pathways of the dopamine so that you might not be getting as much of it. Um, and like we said, in the attraction stage, that was the part that was making you just be like, must see him, must see him, must have reward, like mouse pushing a pellet, getting the food pellet. Yeah, one word, Molly. Addiction. Yeah. Because the dopamine reward system that is triggered in the insane, romantic, passionate phase of love is the exact same thing as, uh, let's just say, snorting a line of cocaine. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, eventually they would like to do research, I guess, on people who have affairs and see if their oxytocin receptors act like other people's do. Or if they constantly need that that hit, that love junkie hit. Right. They think that people who have been in committed long term relationships for years and years and still claim to be madly in love with each other might have higher levels of oxytocin in their brains or might have more oxytocin receptors, which makes them more innately monogamous. Right. And, you know, there are not many monogamous species out there. Right, It's kind of debatable whether humans are. In fact, the only one they're entirely sure about is a little creature called the prairie vole. Mm-hmm. And they've done experiments where they hinder the amount of oxytocin in a prairie vole's brain. And it goes from being this very stable, um, monogamous creature to being like a, a crazy, love-crazed prairie bowl, whatever that looks like. They just start, they start having sex with everything. Right. Uh, whereas, like you said, they will mate for life and be perfectly content. And I think in one of the studies that I saw, they actually have more sex than they need to in order to reproduce. So they're, they're happy little prairie bowls. Yeah. It's all that vasopressin. Mm hmm. Well, Molly, now it's time, now that we're deep in the attachment phase, which, you know, Fizzle and I, I don't think we really got to this point, um, but if we had gotten to this point and we were still hanging out together, one chemical that would go up in my brain would have been serotonin. And, and I, that's one that I referenced before. It's sort of the antithesis to norepinephrine. The norepinephrine is in the early stages where, you know, your palms are sweaty, heart's beating and all of that. But serotonin calms you down, makes you feel safe uh, and comfortable with that person. It's sort of like, you know, the sweet old couples that you see walking hand in hand down the sidewalk they just got you know a little just serotonin just coursing through their little old veins <laughs> making them just feel comfortable together right i mean when you know we were talking about this before i sort of made it sound like you kind of just get drugged up and you just kind of stay with the person mhm out of But like, right. But we also have, uh, thanks to evolution, we have these, these stabilizing factors in our brain. And when we talk about why does the sizzle fizzle, it seems like there is, you come to a crossroads. Everybody hits that initial attraction phase. And, um, you know, if the, if the sizzle fizzles, it's, you know, it all has, to do with these sets of chemicals in our brain. And also, one thing that we didn't mention that comes back online in this attachment phase is that prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. lights back up, and that's where you start to see the flaws in people. But what's interesting is when we were researching this, I was like, oh man, you know, a woman can fall out of love with her husband because of these chemicals in her brain. But as we mentioned, Vasopressin and oxytocin are also really key chemicals in mother-child bonding. Right. When you look at MRI scans of people who are in love with someone else, like sexually, physically in love with someone else, and look at the brains of mother to child, there are a lot of interacting, overlapping areas that are that are lighting up. But there's one place in the brain that that really makes a difference. Yeah. And remember when we were talking about the impact of seeing a face and how mm-hmm. that was so important, where that kind of dies off in terms of a physical romantic love that never really shuts off with the mother, probably because she's always examining her child's face because it's changing, because she's looking for signs of illness. Uh, that facial recognition part of the brain plays a very important part in sustaining that mother-child love and where, you know, the dopamine eventually levels off in romantic love, it never really does in mother-child love. So you almost, like, don't need the reward of your child loving you back, which I guess is a pretty handy uh, evolutionary tick when it comes to a child being a teenager. Mm-hmm. And they've also highlighted the hypothalamus as the main Difference point between, uh, in the brain between romantic love and mother love, if you will, because when I was attracted to Fizzle and whoever else, my hypothalamus is kind of going crazy. But if I ever, you know, have a child and I'm looking at the child, my hypothalamus is not going to be active at, at, at all. Hopefully not. <laughs> right. They think it's more of the seat of the erotic love. Yeah. So, Heavy stuff. Luckily, I was reassured to know that while the sizzle may fizzle between me and any fellow, hopefully, it will never fizzle for my children. Well, and Molly, hypothetically, Molly, I have to throw out one more study that was conducted by uh, Helen Fisher and her sisters. love researcher, love researchers. Yes, uh, they looked at MRI scans of these couples who, I think, the average time they'd been together was twenty-one years. Mm-hmm. Been together for a long time, and according to All of this research that we've been talking about now, it would have fizzled out somewhere in the brain. They might have had like a nice bonding, a lot of serotonin going on, but you can't still be in love in the brain. The neurobiology has to be different, Mm -hmm. right? I would think so. Well, they were actually wrong. (gasps) They were really happy to find out that the same areas that were lit up during this romantic phase 21 years down the road were still lighting up when they would see pictures of... The person they were mated with that's good because a lot of this other research is pretty depressing it just seems like we're on a downward spiral but you know those old couples showing us it can be done yeah it can be done so and it's also once again I take comfort in knowing next time the sizzle fizzles I'll just blame it on you know dopamine just say it's not me it's my brain it's not me it's my dopamine (laughs) but if you want to learn more about dopamine it's all on HowStuffWorks.com. We've got an article called How Love Works. Mm-hmm. You should go on and check it out. And while you're online, you should also send me and Molly question, comment, email to momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
1: HowStuffWorks.com. Want more How Stuff works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. you by the reinvented 2012 camry it's ready are you so here's something that some of you might find shocking 95 percent of women don't feel good about their hair but pantene is changing that pantene's rosewater collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the rosa gallica plant with pantene's rosewater collection i can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good, because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance.
0: No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction.
1: And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.